Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adam. Quick aside before we get into the main topic at hand, you know, yesterday, if you live in the Atlanta area, you know that one of the big sports stories was the official firing of Arthur Smith from the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons moving on, trying to find a new coach again. It's what, the sixth time this has happened during the Arthur Blank era? It seems like it's happened, you know, every couple of years for as long as I can remember. And I was like watching and listening to some of this press conference yesterday. And it was just so obvious to me. And if you don't care about the Falcons, I understand this is not your cup of tea right now, but I'm going somewhere as relates to Georgia football with this, that as you're watching this, it is just so painfully obvious. I don't take great pleasure in saying this because it comes across as excessively cruel, but it is just so obvious the Falcons have absolutely no idea how to hire a head coach. They don't have that particular core competency within their organization. And a press conference like that yesterday is really more about trying to obscure that, trying to make the media in the room, the fans kind of watching through the lens of the media. It's trying to make sure they do as much as they possibly can to conceal the obvious truth, which is if you're going back to the drawing board and hiring a new coach over and over and over again every couple of years, you clearly have no idea how to do that. And the same people who've kind of been in charge of this for a couple of decades here you know, the same process that's resulted in Arthur Smith and Dan Quinn and so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. You know, that same process is likely to result in something similar here this time around. The Falcons' chances of picking a successful coach is really no better than chance would dictate. They may flip a coin and it may come up, you know, lucky in heads for them. But the honest truth is they have no particular power towards uh, shaping the outcome that they want. And what makes me say that is, is that I don't think you want to take competency for granted. The Falcons, I believe, are an incompetent organization. I believe they're one of the least competent organizations in all of professional sports, and that's their kind of cross to bear here for right now. But for the topic at hand that we discuss on a daily basis, Georgia football, I don't think you should take Georgia's competence for granted. It is one of those things that is on full display on a regular basis. And Kirby Smart, as the leader of this organization, is an incredibly competent coach. And obviously, when we think about college football coaches, we're thinking about someone who has more power than just, hey, what player are we calling in a given moment on the field and which players are we putting into the game? The actual leader of a college football organization has so much more power than that. And Kirby's competence on display is so much more than just the game day decisions personnel wise scheme wise things like that and I don't think you should take that for granted and that's not to say that well everything Kirby does is brilliant everything that Kirby does is genius you know those of us who do sort of sports talk for a living there's always going to be an element of Monday morning quarterbacking to this and any coach leaves some room for debate about this decision or that decision and perhaps we see a pattern of decisions sometimes that sort of feel like a little bit of stubbornness whatever else but you can criticize that but you can never look at someone like Kirby Smart and say this is not a competent man there is clearly a high level of competency here and Georgia's success even the contention for championships prior to the breakthrough to win the national championships 
there was a lot of competency on display here and you shouldn't take that for granted now let me give you a specific way in which i believe that shows up here today yesterday you're probably aware that georgia added a transfer quarterback his name is jade maeva he comes to a uga via unlv and I think for some Georgia fans, there's a little bit of a difficulty in understanding exactly how to process this. Perhaps I'm misreading this a little bit, but I think there is, you know, maybe a little bit of difficulty in terms of discussing exactly what this means. For instance, if Georgia was in need of a starting quarterback and you went out and gotten so-and-so player, then people have an obvious idea of how that guy is going to fit into the overall story. But Georgia right now doesn't need a starting quarterback. In fact, I think that Georgia could be well taken care of even when it comes to its number two quarterback quarterback for next year there as well so exactly what is Maiva here you know he's a guy that had pretty good passing yards uh not quite as good when it comes to a touchdown interception ratio has shown some ability with his legs this is a guy who was among uh the 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 sort of a quarterback for a team that was among the best in the group of five for most of last year so I think this is a really good ad for Georgia but I don't know that I would favor Maeva as Georgia's backup quarterback for next season presumably I believe that's probably still Gunnar Stockton we'll talk to Connor Riley more about this in a moment he and I actually exchanged some ideas about this on video last night right in the immediate aftermath of the announcement coming down I'll rehash some of that for you here I believe that Gunnar Stockton is probably still best suited to be Georgia's backup quarterback next season if Carson Beck were to get hurt which is a factor sometimes in college football especially in the SEC it would seem in recent years my guess is is that Stockton would get first crack in replacing Beck and also playing in that traditional backup role I do believe Maeva has some value I think clearly he is a better quarterback for 2024 on Georgia's roster than Dylan Riola would be if Riola was here and I say that simply because uh in the case of Maeva he's played and played well at times at the major college level that's obviously a uh, level of experience right now that Dylan Riola cannot match so from that standpoint Georgia's probably in better hands with Maeva on next year's team than it would be if, if Dylan Riola was here I think the presence of Maeva also as well gives someone like Ryan Puglisi a chance to grow into a role it is very hard to step into an SEC football environment after having played high school football anywhere with all due respect I would say that may be especially true coming from a place like Connecticut everyone loves the overall skill set that Puglisi brings to the table but this is a little bit of a developmental story here for him at UGA not a 2024 consideration and perhaps not even a 2025 consideration either he needs time to grow into a role the presence of Maeva I think will give Puglisi the time that he needs there is also a chance here as well that all of this is fairly inconsequential because while there's a lot to like about Maeva there is not a lot of playing time to be had at the Georgia quarterback position here right now firmly entrenched with the starter Carson Beck among the nation's best a uh, guy like Gunnar Stockton who I think is still a very promising prospect overall there's a chance that Maeva may only be Georgia's number three quarterback for 2024 and given the fact that we're about I think to live in a world in which transfers can happen with regularity there is no restriction on guys who've already transferred once you know who's to say what the future of Maeva looks like he's obviously got three additional years of eligibility and uh you know we'll see what his response is at Georgia if you know perhaps he doesn't unseat Gunnar Stockton as the backup quarterback here for this year that those are just some of the considerations I think you have to look into when you think about what uh what Jaden Maeva can be but beyond that 
I think there is one big reason that Georgia should like, a Georgia fans should like the addition of Maeva to this team. And I think it goes back to what we were saying uh, a little earlier about the overall competence that Georgia puts on display. Georgia needed a backup quarterback. Georgia needed quarterback depth. Kirby Smart told us, you know, back on signing day that Georgia desired four scholarship quarterbacks and they were only at three. And so therefore they'd like to have that fourth. Now keep in mind here. When I talk about quarterbacks, one of the things you've heard me talk about before is my belief that one of the best overall stats to measure how good a quarterback is, is the stat yards per attempt. Yards per attempt to me kind of combines a couple of different things. It's how accurate you are combined with how explosive you are. There's a way to have a lot of passing yards on the basis of a small number of explosive plays, but not a ton of other completions other than that. So you've kind of got like high passing yards, low completion percentage. That doesn't always tell me a lot about you necessarily. On the flip side of that, you can have very high completion percentage. You're completing a lot of passes, but it's a lot of the stuff near the line of scrimmage, not very explosive, and therefore perhaps somewhat limiting your offense's chance for success if all you're doing is the sort of dink and duck stuff. So if you want to kind of compare a lot of quarterbacks across a broad spectrum, to me, yards per attempt is a very interesting number to do that with. And when you look at Jade Maeva, it's the yards per attempt number that he put up for UNLV this season that tells a pretty compelling story about him and once again speaks to the overall competence on display by you know a coach like Kirby Smart in terms of bringing a guy like this into the program did you know that this past year Maeva was 20th in America in yards per attempt 8.7 uh, 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 yards every time he dropped back to pass pretty high number pretty impressive stat to give you more context on this uh, that puts him ahead of Drake May for the year, Jordan Travis for the year, Graham Mertz for the year, Spencer Rattler for the year, Joe Milton for the year, on and on and on we could go with that. That in this particular stat, a stat that I would rank among the most important for uh, quarterbacks overall, Maeva was better uh, than a lot of quarterbacks that we talk about on a pretty regular basis, guys that were competing against Georgia, you know, guys that were among the uh, best in the country here for this year. But not only that, Think about what has been going on around college football the last couple of weeks. We are seeing the movement in the transfer portal and teams in desperate need of new quarterbacks for the upcoming year are doing their best to sort of secure that guy. Presumably, these teams that need a starter would be out there and more aggressive and seeking as good a player as they can possibly get. But when it comes to this yards per attempt number, not yards per completion, but yards per attempt, uh, which factors in incompletions as well, when it comes to that, there's room to believe that some of the teams that need starter-level quarterbacks, they didn't necessarily get a better guy than Georgia got in Maeva. I mentioned Jordan Travis a moment ago. How about Florida State? Knowing that the Jordan Travis era is coming to an end, knowing they have to replace Travis for the upcoming season, who have they turned to? DJ Uyunglele, most recently of Oregon State. Now, it's not obviously true that Uyunglele will start at quarterback for Florida State here this year, but he's going to, by this year, I mean 2024, but he's going to get every chance to do that. His yards per attempt number last year was worse than Maeva's. He was 27th best in America at 8.4 yards per attempt. So Florida State needs a starter. Georgia needs like a third string. And yet, in this particular stat, Georgia's guy they're bringing in is better than the guy that Florida State's bringing in who may have a chance to start. 
are. Uh, that's also true for uh, Ohio State as well. Ohio State made a big show of sort of moving on from Devin McCord. McCord's on his way to Syracuse. Ohio State, we thought, would be in the market for a very big-time level starter player to get that program back to the kind of quarterback play they're used to. But instead, they tapped George, uh, Will Howard out of uh, Kansas State. Not a bad player necessarily, but once again, to compare to Maeva, Maeva 20th in America last year, 8.7 yards per attempt. Same stat, Howard just 54th best in America at 7.4 yards per attempt. So all of that is to say this. Kirby Smart's very good at his job. And one of the best ways to demonstrate competency is how you do little things well. And the acquisition of Jade Maeva, for the most part, is just a little thing. This is a guy who we may never even really see play. And certainly, he may never actually start a game for Georgia quarterback. And if he does, that's not likely to come for maybe a couple of years from now, possibly, or, or you know something to that effect. And yet, nonetheless, this is a capable player. Nonetheless, this is a guy who, in a season starting for UNLV, had some success. That's what Georgia does. It does the little things well. In everything this program does, competency is always on full display. And Georgia fans should be very thankful to Kirby Smart for that. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We are happy to have you with us, doing the show in a way that feels more like normal than in really any time over the course of the last few weeks. We're certainly very excited about that. I will give you a quick update if you're joining us here during the broadcast. We're pre-recording this on a Tuesday morning. Now, for comments later on today, we're fully live. For our R.S. Andrews Cooldown that takes place at the end of the show, we'll be fully live for all of that the way that we always are. But as a way of trying to get this thing back to normal, we're giving this a shot today, a little bit of a pre-record process on all of that. Won't bore you with the details, but that is how the sausage is being made around here, here today on all of that. And a huge thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of George, who make it all possible. Today is one of those days where it is very easy to sell you on Engineered Solutions of Georgia because one of the main reasons why people are giving ESOG a call is on full display here today. It was a mess, absolute nasty rain. I drove into a work uh, through this morning, and many of you kind of battled some of the same sort of, sort of stuff on your way to work. And I know the anxiety that causes to creep in on something like this because you know when it's raining that hard outside the car and outside your home some of that water wants to creep in where it's not supposed to be basement crawl space garage you see evidence of it sometimes it's like standing water down there in the basement other times it's just sort of the wet spots the residue the whatever else uh you see examples of where water has been that it's not supposed to be and all of that a reason to think about our friends at engineered solutions of georgia because it's not just the waterproofing stuff how about foundation issues there as well you see cracks in the brick where it's not supposed to be you see uh horizontal cracks sometimes in the sheetrock all of that major major reasons for you to have engineered solutions of georgia on your mind now i love recommending esog to you because they are first of all proud partners of uga i think it's nice to support those who've shown loyal support to uga i, I certainly think that's a fun thing to do I'm also incredibly grateful for you for supporting Engineered Solutions of Georgia because of how long they've been 
really great partners to us here on Dog Nation Daily as well, allowing us to deliver this show to you on a weekly basis. I certainly appreciate all of that uh, from you and your continued support of Engineered Solutions of Georgia. But in addition to that, there's not just the loyalty factor here. There's also the credibility that comes from doing good work over the course of a number of years and putting smart people to work to help get that done. We talked about competency a little earlier. Well, there is full competency on display when it comes to Engineered Solutions of Georgia because they've got an entire team of engineers on staff ready to help you with your foundation, your waterproofing issues. There's nobody else in our marketplace that can put that level of resource together for you to do that work. So make sure you give them a call. 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now. Don't forget, Engineered Solutions of Georgia also offers a fully transferable triple protection warranty, materials, installation, and design. All of that covered there. So they're going to do good work. They offer a great value and it's time to give them a call. 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now for Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, we're going to get Connor Riley here coming up in a moment. We'll talk more about Jade Maeva with Connor here in just a bit. Prior to that, I want to go around the doghouse. And I want to give you a quick thought on last night's national championship game, and then I want to look ahead to what's coming next for college football, and this gets pretty interesting. So we get plenty wrong over the course of the months and years. You can certainly chronicle plenty of that. I'm sure many of you have. One thing we got absolutely right was last night's national title game. We've been saying this for days. The battle between Washington and Michigan was a battle between college football, as people sometimes wish that it was, compared to college football as it actually is. I don't know very many people, neutral observers to a you know a game like this, that don't prefer to watch Washington maybe over Michigan. I think that Michael Penix is incredibly entertaining. Roma Dunze, incredibly entertaining. Uh, Washington's penchant for playing kind of close, wild football games makes them really fun to watch. There is a way in which people sometimes, I think, sort of wish college football was a little more like what the Huskies bring to the table. On the flip side of that, though, Michigan is an example of what college football actually is. The same way that Georgia won the last two national championships and you know Alabama's been a factor in national titles before that, Michigan has created, to its credit, its own version of that within the Big Ten. And what I mean by that is, is that Michigan was the far better team on both lines of scrimmage, and ultimately there just wasn't much last night that Washington was able to do about that. And if you watch the game, I think you're aware of that. And I I think big picture, this is one of those things that creates a little bit of a problem for college football. If we talk about, and gosh knows, that could be a long conversation of discussing, you know, what needs to be fixed, what's not quite right with college football. I would say that one of the underlying issues I see with the sport is the really strong desire to sort of present a version of reality that it doesn't exactly match the total truth. You know, the powers that be within the sport want to believe that there's a big old country out there and there's a lot of conferences that compete and a lot of teams within those conferences and they've all got a chance. But the truth is, the kind of line of scrimmage talent that Georgia has had, that Michigan does have, that you know Alabama has had, Ohio State's trying to collect, that kind of line of scrimmage talent's always going to be scarce, and it has a tendency to sort of congregate in a small number of places, the same way that resources do across all kinds of dis, you know discussions and disciplines, that the best line of scrimmage talent has a tendency to congregate in a relatively small number of places, and so therefore the actual number in any given year, whether it's a 14 playoff, a 12-team playoff, a two-team playoff back during the BCS or whatever format you want to go with, 
the actual number of true championship contenders is actually pretty small. And right now, Washington's just not on that list. I don't care if they played for a title last night. Uh, it seemed pretty obvious they were outclassed pretty early in the game. And I would say that Michigan made some sort of weird decisions at times that, that allowed the game to feel closer than it probably should have been for a while. But it was painfully obvious who was the best of these two teams and why it was they were the best because of the dominance they showed along the line of scrimmage. Now, here's the good news. I don't believe that Georgia fans were rooting for Michigan last night, and I think that's probably with good reason. But I do believe in watching Michigan do what it did. I think you're reminded that Georgia remains well-positioned for what's coming next in college football. And the idea of dominating the lines of scrimmage is not going out of style anytime soon. And even though we pay all kinds of attention to sexy quarterbacks and wide receivers and glitz and glamour and flash and style and pizzazz, the truth is the most brutally efficient teams up front with your offensive and defensive lines, those are still going to be the program's best set up for success in any kind of era, playoff format-wise, college football is moving into. And with that being said, and thinking about that as a topic for today's show, I, I did go back in time a little bit. You know, it, it's it's really neat the degree to which Georgia seems to understand this. Obviously, we've heard Kirby Smart preach to us over and over again about the value of line of scrimmage play and this, that, and the other. And we've clearly seen great offensive and defensive linemen be a part of Georgia's back-to-back run of national championships in 2021-2022. We believe if Georgia would have been in last night's playoff, or or should say this year's playoff, that they could have put that on display again. But nonetheless the facts remain is that Georgia has been very much a line of scrimmage program but that's not just an idea sort of started with coaches and it trickling down to the players the players themselves seem to get that in a really big way in fact the guys who are on their way to become players for Georgia they also seem to get that too in fact I want to go back to Joseph Jonah Ajanye, the uh, terrific defensive line signing for this 2024 class for Georgia. He's on campus now. He's gone through some practices. He looked great in uh, Miami for those of us who were down there a, a couple of, you know, a few, you know, however long it was, a week or so ago, uh, seeing him down there. He looked great down there, looks ready to maybe contribute for Georgia here this season. But if you want to go back to the summertime, back when uh, Jonah Ajanye was just a, just a prospect, you know, just a commit, you know, just a guy that was working his way into to his college life he already seemed to understand what makes Georgia special and so when you watch Michigan last night dominate Washington win a national championship using its lines of scrimmage to do that and realizing that's also been the bedrock foundation for Georgia uh, there as well I think the words of Joseph Jonah Janye set to begin his college career going back to July I think this should fill you with a lot of hope for the future that Georgia knows what makes it special, and Georgia's ready to put that on display for this upcoming year. In fact, one of those incoming freshmen, Joseph Jonah Janye, told you that back during the summertime. Let's hear him right now. They showed their big men a lot of love, and obviously as a, as a big man, I obviously want to be there and receive some of that love. So, yeah, I like the way they prioritize that because games are won in the trenches because if the D-line can't create pressure, on that quarterback, he's obviously going to make a great throw and win the game. But if we can, he's going to throw a pick at a quarterback, and that's a pick six, you know? Mm-hmm. Or he could give offense back the ball. And that's how, that's how games are won. That's how you win national championships, in my opinion. 
I mean, don't you love that from Joseph Jonah John? Yeah, you love it because it's true, but you also love it because such a young man who I think just recently turned 17 years old, he was probably 16 when he said that, he already seems to get what makes Georgia special, and he wanted to be a part of that. By the way, our Jeff Santel, the one that uh, conducted that interview. So last night was a reminder that line of scrimmage play still matters more than anything else. That's good news for UGA because Georgia's obviously as well positioned with its offensive and defensive lines as uh, any program in the country and for this upcoming season we expect to see a lot of that from these dogs now one more thing on the subject of 2024 before we bring on connor riley here today so this morning for us sort of officially begins the brand new 12 team playoff format era it's upon us now and i think some of the challenge we're going to be facing for this upcoming year is just kind of getting used to exactly what that's going to feel like and exactly what that's going to look like. And so I wanted to kind of start that off for us to just kind of remind you of just how different all of this is going to be here moving forward. In fact, our friends from FBSSchedules.com, I think one of the best websites out there because of how well they chronicle you know, all the scheduling stuff for all the various teams. They put this out yesterday just to kind of give you a little bit of an idea of what next year is going to be completely different what we've seen before our first playoff game for next season is going to kick off on a friday evening on december the 20th that's going to be one of those five you know six seven eight seated teams hosting a game 9 10 11 12 going on the road we'll do three more of those first round games on a saturday that's december 21st then you start thinking about the uh, quarterfinal matchups all of these are going to be uh, neutral site games, uh, New Year's Eve uh, at the Fiesta Bowl, uh, January 1st at the Chick-fil-A uh, Peach Bowl, January 1st at the Rose Bowl, uh, January 1st at the Sugar Bowl. You know, those are going to be your quarterfinal games next year. Then when you think about uh, moving to January 9th, January 10th, these are going to be your semifinal games. Uh, Orange Bowl, Cotton Bowl, and the championship all the way to January 20th. The college season next year is going to extend all the way to January 20th on a Monday night back in Atlanta for the national championship game. So Atlanta hosts a quarterfinal game and a, and a national championship game here next year. Playoffs begin on December 20th and go all the way to January 20th, the full month of kind of playoff action next year with those 11 games in total. And you know the other part of this is there was supposed to be some voting yesterday uh, this week in Houston but the idea of you know kind of changing what was supposed to be a six team automatic bid and then six at large kind of moving to a five automatic bid seven at large they couldn't quite get I guess the full agreement to announce that here this week but we sort of feel like that's coming so there is a lot of talk for the upcoming year who's hosting a playoff game who's earning a buy who has to go on the road who makes the 12 team all the travel for the teams that do make it completely different era that's on the way and a lot lot of fun kind of figuring all this out so get ready for that as the new year is upon us and that is around the doghouse here today on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia and with all of that said we'll keep the conversation going right now georgia adds a transfer quarterback aftermath of the national championship game and by the way the possibility of a little bit of a rumor out there that could have an impact on uga we'll figure all of that out as we welcome in connor riley to dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia here today
from Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, we're glad to bring on Connor Riley to the program. Lots to discuss with Connor, uh, including what might be next for Georgia, perhaps the offseason, not exactly set to slow down. We'll find out. Uh, about that here coming up in a moment prior to that national championship game last nine i believe this one played out connor about how you and i both had sort of thought that it might i discussed this before you joined us lines of scrimmage still the name of the game for success michigan far better with both of its fronts that to me was the difference in the game but how about for you uh what was your reaction to watching last night's national championship game yeah, I just thought that Michigan was the better team. I think they played a game that uh, you know Georgia should recognize, or that Kirby Smart would certainly enjoy. Uh, it was not you know necessarily the prettiest offensive game, but they hit on some explosives early. I think they limited for the most part what Washington was able to do from an explosive play standpoint, and they sort of just grounded Washington into dust, especially there in the fourth quarter. Winning the game late, coming up with a big turnover. I, I do know some people, you know, had Keely Ringo fastbacks. Please get just like just get out of here. That was Alabama was driving to tie the game. Georgia won a national championship in 41 years, and Keely Ringo scored on the play. Uh, Mike Stansfield did not there there, but uh, it was a game reminiscent of Georgia. And yet, having said all that and watching the majority of that game, uh, you know, if Georgia had gotten the chance to play Michigan or to play Washington, I think they could have beaten both of them. And if you're a Georgia fan watching that game, there was probably parts of you that felt the same way and felt frustrated by that. Yeah. But, you know, if you know, you're most teams, if you're Georgia, your games do matter. And Georgia had a chance to beat Alabama, and they couldn't find a way to do it. Michigan did. And for that, you know, you give them the credit, and that's why they're national champions, and Georgia isn't. Yeah, I think the point you're bringing up is a, is a pretty good one in the fa- from the standpoint that if you're a Georgia fan, you're kind of left to wonder, oh, man, what my team could be able to do if they're playing this game right now. And on the one hand, that's kind of frustrating. But on the other hand, the style of play that Michigan employs is pretty similar in some respects to what Georgia does. You know, scarce resources have a tendency to congregate in a small number of places and good line of scrimmage guys have a tendency to play on a small number of teams, Georgia being one of the ones that hoards more than its fair share. And so while you'll be left to wonder what might would have been, could Georgia have been in this year's playoff, you certainly are led to believe that what Georgia does to create its dominance, similar to what Michigan does, that style of play is not going out of style anytime soon. So if you're a Georgia fan, I do believe you take some comfort in that. No, yeah, I wrote in my sort of, you know, was this a successful season story on Monday, you know, there's nothing that Georgia did this season that dissuades from the idea that they're going to be one of the elite teams in college football moving forward. Uh, their style of play is pretty replicable on a year-in, year-out basis. While it helps to have Carson Beck back next season, and I think he's a big reason why Georgia's going to open as the number one team in the country, uh, they're not reliant on a quarterback to, to carry them in a year-in, year-out way like, say, Washington is. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how Washington goes about replacing Michael Penix with all that he brought to that program. And so I think it, because of the way Georgia is built, because of the way Kirby Smart has built Georgia, yeah, there are going to be questions each and every year, and there are going to be position groups that fluctuate. But for the most part, because of the fact that Georgia is built so stoutly along the lines of scrimmage, they're going to have one of the best offensive lines in the country once again next year. I think the fact that you bring back uh, Nazir Stackhouse, potentially Warren Brinson, along with everything else you have on that defensive line, and with what you have at a linebacker position, 
next year. You know, Georgia is once again going to be one of the best teams in the country. They're, to this point, a consensus number one team in the country to start the 2024 season. We'll see how the offseason continues to shape this. I know Quinshawn Junkins and a PR move that Kirby Smart certainly would have enjoyed committing <laughs> to Ohio State the minute uh, that Michigan wins a national title to try and take some shine off of that. I think certainly factors into that there. But uh, overall, uh, anything that we saw from this season, Georgia's not going anywhere. Yes, they still have to get over Alabama. And yes, a 12-team playoff with a more difficult schedule make the 2024 season interesting. But with the way Georgia is built and with what you saw Michigan do, uh, you know, there's no reason to believe that Georgia can't be in Atlanta next season in the national championship game and possibly winning it once again. You and I last night talked on video about Jane Maeva, the former UNLV quarterback transferring to UGA. Most of this audience probably didn't see that, so we'll rehash some of that here right now. Uh, spoiler alert, I think you and I both think this is a really um, – you know, the word I've used today is competent. You know, it's a, it's a real competent move. This is a guy who had some success. And for Georgia, who needs more quarterback depth, bringing in a guy with starter experience. By the way, the one thing that the other guy, other than obviously Carson, who's, who is the starter, but the other guys don't really have, um, I, I think there is a lot to like with the Maiva addition for Georgia. I don't want to make more of it than it is because, you know, there is a chance this also ends up being fairly inconsequential. Maeva may never start a game here with with, uh, the Georgia program. He's obviously got three more years of college eligibility. But you're always glad to have a capable starter-level player, a guy that succeeded at the FBS level, and that's what Maeva is, isn't he? Yeah, I think this is an example of, you know, yes, there are some risks with this in terms of, you know, chemistry and how he's going to come in and impact this team, Maeva, but, you know, he could end up being a starter for Georgia, I think, possibly as soon as 2025, uh, you know, unless Carson Beck unfortunately gets injured this year, and let's knock on wood to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, but there's also a world where he never starts a game at Georgia and ends up transferring the second time, and I think, you know, the fact that it looks like we're going to have unlimited transfers moving forward I think that's Kirby Smart, and this is an example of him adapting to the changing nature of college football and using this transfer portal as a way to get better and add and potentially, you know, again, if Carson Beck doesn't get hurt next season, then we don't hear from uh, Jaden Maeva. But in the event that he does, and look, quarterbacks have gotten hurt. You know, Quinn Ewers at Texas this year missed time, and they needed a backup to come in and win them some games. And, you know, with Georgia playing at Texas next year, Alabama, at Ole Miss, at Kentucky – the more difficult schedule, it doesn't hurt to have a quarterback that in, in some ways has real experience and can come in. I know a lot of people like Gunnar Stockton. I know people on this team love Gunnar Stockton. Gunnar Stockton has played 55 career snaps, and there's not a whole lot out there. And if he's getting thrust in there in the middle of the season, odds are he's not going to have like a Tennessee Tech or a UAB to sort of warm up with. He's going to have to go out there and play against a Florida, uh, against an Ole Miss in a big game of consequence. And so if you can bring in a guy in Maiva who started 11 games this last season for UNLV, I think played a total of like 850 snaps, brings real experience at that position, obviously not in the SEC level, but has real experience, I think you go out and do that. I think it's telling that USC was interested in him. I think you know there are some tools and traits that you really like that Maiva has that he brings to the table. And ultimately, you know, yes, there are some you know things that could go wrong with this, as there are any time I think you bring in a transfer. 
But with three years of eligibility left, you bring in a guy that has a chance to continue to grow within your program. And ultimately, I think that's the biggest reason why Maeva is a Georgia Bulldog. The stat that I gave earlier, he was 20th in America last year in yards per attempt. That's better than Drake May. It's better than Jordan Travis. It's better than Graham Merge. It's better than Joe Milton. It's better than a lot of quarterbacks that we talk about on this show on a pretty regular basis. That means something to me, Connor. Yeah, he's a guy, and again, you know, you watch Gunnar Stockton in that Orange Bowl game, and he did look impressive at, at points of it, you know, 6 of 10, 96 yards, two touchdown passes, ran for 46 yards. But the way that Gunnar Stockton played in that game, you know, running around, taking shots, it, that's not a sustainable way to play, and he's pretty different stylistically from Carson Beck and the way that he's both built but also tries to go out there and play. And if Gunnar Stockton is forced into you know, action next season, and I will say you know, we're talking about Gunnar here and obviously Jaden as well, right now I still expect Gunnar Stockton to be the backup quarterback for Georgia in spring practice, yeah. and we'll see how that battle unfolds. But Gunnar Stockton's style of play does not exactly scream someone who is determined to make it through all 15 games healthy. And so I think in bringing my a guy – Six four, six five, two hundred and twenty seven pounds. Certainly, physically looks the part for this uh, for this team in this quarterback position, and I think can continue to do things for Georgia moving forward. I, it's a good place to be and to have a guy like that. And I think it's an example of using the transfer portal. You know, again, Kirby Smart said this before. Quarterback sort of always a position where if you feel like you need to go in there and grab someone, you can. Uh, Georgia went out there and did that with Maeva, and they clearly think that he is a guy that not just can potentially help them this season, whether it be in a depth role or pushing Gunnar Stockton to become a better backup, but long-term as well, someone who could emerge as a starter for this program. All right, so rapid fire on a couple of these things, and then there's one more topic I want to address with you here on a completely different subject. So to rehash a little bit what we discussed last night, it sounds like you and I both are still of the belief that Gunnar Stockton is most likely the number two quarterback for Georgia next season. Maeva is a, is a talented player. He's got some experience, but that's not enough for me to jump Maeva ahead of Gunnar Stockton in my perceived pecking order. Do you still agree with that? I do. I think this is where Gunnar Stockton's two years in the program helps there. I think the fact, and this, isn't, this is something that maybe hasn't getting, gotten brought up enough, teammates love Gunnar Stockton. And we talked about this on the show last night. I think the fact that teammates on that 2021 team love Stetson Bennett simply more than they love JT Daniels was part of the reason that Stetson Bennett ended up being the starting quarterback for that team down the stretch there. And, and that is not something to be overlooked. And, and, and in reality, like, Gunnar Stockton knows that Georgia's always going to be bringing in talented quarterbacks. Uh, you know, Dylan Raiola, they pushed really hard to recruit. The year before, they pushed really hard to recruit Arch Manning. Uh, he knows that a Georgia competition is something that you'll have to live with. And so I think he's uniquely wired to handle that well. I don't think he's going to be all that bothered by Maeva, and he th- and I think he knows he's got to go out there and continue to build upon who he is as a player, continue to get better in certain areas while continuing to hone his strengths there. I would be really interested in seeing how he comes out and plays on G-Day. I think between him and Maeva, you're going to see Georgia maybe let it rip, as they usually do in that spring game. And it'll be interesting to see just what improvements he's made as a passer, especially because in that kind of game, you know, one of his clear strengths is his ability to run around and create plays with his legs. So it doesn't really allow that in spring games there. So I'll be interested in seeing, you know, how does Gunnar Stockton show improvement as he's functioned from the pocket there. But let's not overlook the fact that Gunnar Stockton's been in this system for two years. He's 
got a long history with Mike Bobo, and Georgia, I think, still believes that he can ultimately one day be a starting quarterback for this program. I said this last night that I believe that right now Jaden Maeva is a better quarterback than Dylan Raiola is. The composite value of the Georgia quarterback room is higher with Maeva in it in place of what we thought was going to be Dylan Raiola. Do you still agree with that, or do, or do you agree I with do. that? I do. I wrote I wrote that this morning in sort of a follow-up story. It, Jaden Maiva is a better college football player in 2024 than Dylan Raiola is. Uh, Raiola has not played a snap yet. He's not practiced yet. And, and so I, I think to get a guy like Maiva who can come in and, and worst-case scenario be someone that has some real experience that isn't going to give you that deer in the headlights look when he gets thrown out there, I, you know, I think he certainly helps Georgia more in 2024 than Dylan Raiola could have. Does Raiola have a higher ceiling than Maiva? Almost Certainly, uh, there's a reason he was a five-star quarterback, and while he might not exactly be a popular figure in Athens right now, uh, you know anyone that watches the tape has seen the tools that that Rayola has and can continue to show and grow with. But for the 2024 season, for this 2024 team with Carson Beck coming back, I think the ability to have a, a backup with some real experience is something that tilts the scales in favor of Maiva. All right, last thing for you, and this is probably a little bit self-serving, but. Like, I've really grown weary of being kind of on a wartime footing here the last couple of months where it's like, who's transferring, who's decommitting, you know, who's going to the draft. It just sort of feels like there's a lot of news coming at a very aggressive pace. I know you feel this way because you've been kind of on the front lines covering all of that. And I think we're all just kind of ready to sort of settle into kind of like a normal, regular season and kind of move at a little bit more of a peacetime pace. Uh, And then you hear that Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator in Alabama, is set to retire. Connor, is this going to start any kind of Glenn Schumann back to his alma mater type, you know, rumors? I'm certainly not trying to start that. I'm, I'm, I'm just curious to hear if, if we think that potentially kind of comes up a year ago, you know, you know, the idea of Schumann going anywhere else but staying at Georgia never really seemed to fully materialize. There was the stuff involving the Eagles, but, but not a lot of stuff connecting him to Alabama. Do you think the Steele retirement announcement is going to impact Georgia one way or another? I don't think the Alabama job is the one to watch for Glenn Schumann. I do think the Philadelphia Eagles one is going to be worth watching. Uh, I I follow the NFL a good bit more than you do, and this Eagles defense is awful. It's maybe the worst in the NFL right now, and their linebackers are just not very good. Nicobe Dean has missed most of the year, and I think that the Eagles were counting on him to do a lot, but even as good as Nicobe Dean could, could have been, uh, he doesn't cover up for some of these issues. And the Eagles made a very hard run at Schumann last season. Schumann ended up staying at Georgia, got a very large raise because of it, I believe over a million dollars. Uh, I would not be surprised if the Eagles, who have had a lot of defensive issues over the second half of the year, when their season comes to an end, could be as soon as this weekend with how they've been playing as late uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, and, and Todd Bowles, the head coach uh, uh, of Tampa Bay, whose son obviously plays for the Georgia team and obviously Schumann coaches. I think that Philadelphia job is maybe one to watch a little bit more than the Alabama job right okay. now, simply because if Schumann wanted to leave, I think he could have done it last season. And he pretty quickly put down the idea that he was going to make that move from Georgia to Alabama. Now, obviously, Alabama's in a different place right now. I think Nick Saban, you know, again, a lot of people want him to retire, specifically fans and fans of this program. Uh, but I think he's maybe got two, three years left at most. 
And so I don't see Schumann being the kind of guy that's like, oh, I can go be the head coach in waiting. I don't think that's what Alabama's going to do. I don't think that's what Schumann wants to do. And I think Schumann recognizes he's got a pretty great job right now. You know, yeah. I don't think the Georgia defense did a great job against Alabama, specifically attacking Jalen Monroe. And Schumann was largely free of criticism following that Alabama game. And so when you're one of the highest-paid coordinators in the country, when you're a great recruiter, when you're a great developer – you know, unless you really get blown away and unless he really does want that challenge at either Alabama or potentially the Philadelphia Eagles figures to offer, I'd be pretty surprised if Schumann is going to make a lateral move, uh, which I would consider the Alabama defensive coordinator job at this point in time, a lateral move for Schumann. I think that's really interesting, Connor, and obviously one of those stories we will be following in the weeks to come. We appreciate your time here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to reading everything you have coming here at dognation.com, and it's been some great stuff here as of late, including this morning in the aftermath of Jaden Maeva's transfer. Thanks for your time, and we'll talk to you soon. Yep, B.A., uh, this is, we always do the show the day after the national championship game. It's my favorite show to do with you. Unfortunately, we're not able to do it in person in Houston, but I hope next year we're doing this dreary-eyed, like running on two hours of sleep in Atlanta early in the morning. I can't wait for it, and I am so thankful that we get to do this. That is a great thought to leave us with, Connor, because uh, some of those sleepless nights like we had after the Indianapolis game, that is one of those feelings that you crave over and over and over again. Maybe we'll be back to that feeling hopefully next year uh, very, very soon. So, Connor, great stuff. Appreciate that sentiment, and we'll talk to you soon. As always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, really good stuff from Connor Riley. We asked him to get up a little early for us here today, so we certainly appreciate his time on all of that and appreciate your time there as well as we get ready to go cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, you've been hearing me say this to you for a while, and it's time to get serious about this. It is showtime, go time for the Dog Nation Cruise. Coming up in April, it's only a couple of months away now, so... Your time to make your official plans to be a part of this, that is right now. So check out royaldogs.com. That's a website put together specially for those planning uh, by our, our good friend Jessica Slater, great travel agent, for those who want more information about our Dog Nation cruise. It's on board Allure of the Seas, bigger and better than it's ever been before, here for 2024. For the very first time ever, the Dog Nation cruise is going to take place on one of those Oasis-class ships, which right now uh, among the biggest cruise ships there at sea. Royal Caribbean's never offered the Oasis-class ships on those three- and four-night sailings, but that's a brand-new thing here for the new year, and the Dog Nation crew's among the first to sort of celebrate that. So you can reach out to Jessica, 770-718-9147, 770-718-9147. You can also email her, jslaterdreamvacations.com. Uh, but the easiest way to do this may be royaldogs.com. Find out more about Perfect Day Coco K. Find out more about taking a trip to Nassau and the Bahamas and all of those special neighborhoods on board Allure of the Seas, which makes all of this so fun. Going to be a great, great time. Can I maybe have the music down just a tiny little bit, if you don't mind? Uh, sometimes our SEC3 music is a, uh, is a <laughs> very festive. <laughs> sometimes the SEC3 music is very, very festive. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we're ready to roll on here. We talked to Connor about this a little bit a moment ago. So Kevin Steele, longtime defensive coach. At one point in time, there was a, almost an a, attempted coup to make him uh, uh, Auburn head coach. I mean, that's kind of the weird thing that kind of took place prior to the start of the Brian Harson era there at uh, Auburn, or error, uh, Auburn fans might more likely say as it relates to uh, Harson. 
Uh, but Steele has been a celebrated coach at different points in his career. Not always, but at different points he has been. Came to Alabama at a time in 2023 when Alabama needed a defensive coordinator. The belief is they probably wanted to hire Jeremy Pruitt, the NCAA specter of investigation over his head. Going back to his time as Tennessee head coach made Pruitt essentially unhirable. He's got a very long show cause uh, connected to his time there at uh, Tennessee. We don't particularly think that's necessarily fair, but that's also not something we're going to cry tears over either, given how Pruitt behaved while he was at Georgia. But the point is, is that Alabama needed a defensive coordinator. Kevin Steele stepped in, and what we kind of thought was probably the winner of his career. Now we know for sure that it is. He's retiring, and now Alabama is in search of a coordinator again. And I do believe it will be interesting to see if at any point in time there's a resurrection of some of the Glenn Schumann stuff around all of this. Schumann is an Alabama grad. Uh, you know, presumably there's a little bit of an attraction for your alma mater there. We have no reason to believe that Glenn is anything other than tremendously happy here at UGA, of course. But, you know, sometimes to use the old Bear Bryant phrase, mama calls. And you uh, perhaps listen to that call. I mean, I don't have any reason to think that's going to be the case, but I do think that's one of those things where if you're a Georgia fan, you're probably buckling that seatbelt for one more kind of ride around the uh, rumor mill here before this particular offseason is over and done with. Pretty clearly, you know, Alabama could use the competency that, that Schumann puts on display. And, you know, I think one of the things that we have seen, listen, Alabama's the reigning SEC champs. They beat Georgia. Uh, no dispute over that. Of course, if you saw the uh, final AP poll come out, Georgia does get the nod over the Crimson Tide there in the final AP poll. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, Bama has uh, – you know, had its issues with, despite the fact that it won the SEC this year, Saban in particular is kind of finding those coordinators that they feel completely comfortable with. Alabama fans didn't love Tommy Reese this year. Uh, I don't know how they feel about Kevin Steele overall. Prior to that, you know, Pete Golding wasn't incredibly popular, and Bill O'Brien wasn't incredibly popular. That, that this great run of successful assistants that Saban's been famous for, as of late, they haven't quite had the same level of that. So we'll see what steps are taken here to to replace Steele if the Schumann name becomes a rumor in this at all last year to Georgia's credit uh you know a lot of that kind of stuff was sort of put to bed before it even started we'll see if that is true again uh, this time around we'll watch that pretty closely I thought the timing was very interesting last night as the Ohio State Buckeyes watched their hated rival Michigan win a national championship Ohio State did what it could to sort of take the spotlight away from the Wolverines at least as much as they possibly could by making it official and announcing that former Ole Miss running back Quinshawn Judkins is transferring to Ohio State now I find this to be very very interesting on a number of fronts first of all on the Ohio State part of this what Ohio State has needed better quarterback play better offensive line play and it's almost like the is it pawn stars it's almost like the pawn stars meme of best I can do is a good running back and I, I have to say that that's sort of how I view this of I don't know that Judkins can play left tackle and I don't know that Judkins can play quarterback I don't know that Quenshawn Judkins uh, while he's a very good player and among the very best players in the SEC I don't know how how well he does at satisfying the actual biggest needs for the Ohio State program. And for a program that has struggled along the offensive line so much at the moment that Seth McLaughlin announced he was leaving Alabama uh, and, and frankly doing so you know, with some you know, embarrassment after the way that the Rose Bowl played out, the Buckeyes rushed in to scoop up and grab him because that's how desperate they are for offensive line right now. 
Is that the kind of thing that you want to do if you're, if you're Judkins to go play behind an offensive line that has struggled as much as Ohio State's has? And by the way, if you're going there for a sizable NIL deal, we're led to believe he probably is. Well, gosh, do you have any hope that a, a desperate coach like Ryan Day, whose job is on the line, is he going to save your carries? Is he going to save your durability? Um, is his job security and the financial commitment they've allegedly made to you, is that going to cause them to want to get the most out of you at your own expense for your NFL future? If I was Judkins, I would be thinking a lot about that too. Uh, his old stop, uh, Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, Kiffin's clearly got more job security moving forward than Ryan Day does right now, and I think that Kiffin's also got the kind of uh, ability to probably share the wealth a little bit in terms of offensive production and workload in a way that I don't know that Ryan Day is necessarily going to. Now, my final thought about this is is that it has kind of been a no-brainer. Well, if you had a chance to be at Ole Miss and go to a place like Ohio State, obviously you'd go to Ohio State. It's a much better program, and in most years it's a much better team. But in terms of the team by team comparison, I don't know how that how true that is for 2024. I think there are some real issues at Ohio State. There's a vibe around that program that's kind of strange. We talked earlier about you know bringing Will Howard from Kansas State. Is that the kind of move that a possible national champion makes? I would suggest that it's probably not. And Judkins staying at Ole Miss would have played with a better quarterback. Jackson Dart, I believe, is better than Howard, and I believe would have played on a team that has a chance to be better than what Ohio State, I think, sets up to be for the upcoming year. This is going to be a pretty interesting test case. A running back like this, we would presume, looked around and said, well, gosh, you're giving big NIL to this quarterback to come back, you know, big NIL to this defensive lineman to transfer in. Where's my money? I can go get more money somewhere else. But in this particular case, is somewhere else actually better? I, I don't know that it is. I think a lot of folks will be watching to see how Judkins – decision to move off of the Rebels so late in the process, how that benefits him or if it benefits him there at all. A couple other stories here real quick. Uh, we talked about this the other day. The Blake Baker hire by LSU has been made official, and boy, has it. Baker now becomes the high, at least for now anyway, the highest paid defensive coordinator in all of college football. A lot of success for him with Missouri. Uh, part of the reason that Missouri had the success that it had. And now uh, LSU in desperate need of that. Obviously, the Matt House era was kind of a disaster, and some of that was because of some guys in the transfer portal that didn't quite pan out. But nonetheless, LSU needs better defensive play, and so they do, like a lot of SEC teams do, which is try to steal from another SEC program. LSU successful in doing that. I wonder how much this is going to quiet down if and when Jim Harbaugh does move on. I wonder how much this is going to quiet down any thought that Brian Kelly might be a candidate for that job. That if you're going out there and you're getting, you know, number one quarterback in the class of 2025 committed, defensive coordinator from a place like Missouri coming in, big bucks being spent there, does this end before it even starts? What had been some sort of burgeoning rumors, but the idea that Kelly might be a candidate for the Michigan job, worth considering anyway. And then speaking of Michigan, uh, you may have seen Connor Stallions last night kind of put out a tweet in celebrating the uh, Michigan National Championship, almost as if he was taking a bow for the role that he played in all of this. And while Michigan itself is not going to want to discuss this very much, it is going to be very much a hot topic among the rest of college football about whether or not this Michigan National Championship should be viewed as legitimate. And ultimately, nothing's going to happen that 
probably strips Michigan of its national championship because, frankly, the NCAA no longer has the kind of power that allows it to do that. There really isn't an organization powerful enough to take this from uh, Michigan anymore. But much like, say, the Houston Astros or something like that, ironic that uh, Michigan was playing last night in the city the Astros call home, uh, just because there's no official body to take it from you doesn't mean that it'll be viewed as legitimate in the court of public opinion. And this is one of those things for a long time, perhaps forever, when fans look in on Michigan, they will see some ill-gotten gain along the way towards this national championship. Now, Wolverines fans won't care. They'll shrug it all off. The team itself has also, you know, I think in the midst of its celebration last night, saying there will be no asterisk attached to this. Well, that may be true from a Michigan perspective, but I don't quite think that's true from all of the fans of college football, and not just the sort of scorned fans like Georgia or Florida State or teams like that that sort of thought maybe they should have been in the playoff, but just for just, you know, fans in general. I think there is sort of a widespread belief among the average rank-and-file uh, college football fan that Michigan cheated and it was benefited by the cheating that was a part of and that I believe rightly so will always be a part of the Michigan story and by the way speaking of the ongoing story with the Wolverines what's next for Jim Harbaugh also pretty fascinating in all of this too but we'll save that for a different day and we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean now before we wrap up today I also want to give a quick shout out to our friends at Mr. Electric, Dog Nation's choice for residential and commercial electrical needs. They've been in business for nearly 30 years. They offer repair work, installations, lighting work, and of course, they're uh, very, very responsible when it comes to electrical safety and all of that. They've got a team of licensed experts, uh, insured electricians, and they offer uh, flat rate upfront pricing there as well, so you get a lot of cost certainty when you uh, get ready to do business with Mr. Electric. That's always a good thing. So listen, if you need some sort of emergency work done on short notice, they got 24-hour emergency uh, service out there for you. Or if you just need a quote, perhaps, on a larger product, uh, pro- <laughs> uh, project is what I mean to say there on that. Mr. Electric's got you covered on all that. And there's a $29 service fee waived anytime they do a repair so really really good stuff they're a neighborly company uh they're dog nation's choice and all of this so make sure you visit mrelectricatlanta.com that's mrelectricatlanta.com for more on that today all right so uh yesterday we talked a little bit about some georgia fans giving grief to dan mullen for mullen's top 10 we said a little earlier that georgia actually comes in ahead of alabama in the final ap top 25 that was not true in dan mullen's unofficial top 10 that he put out on his social media the other day and some georgia fans not too happy about that in fact uh gene haran reached out to us to say uh that that mullen was the clown king for uh his top 10 he said yes i had a comment so gene haran kind of leading the way for us on this in terms of giving some grief to uh dan mullen for having georgia only sixth in his final ranking behind alabama behind florida state at three who georgia beat by 60 points so we gave Mullen some grief for that, and Gene Horan took it right to him, as good Georgia fans probably would do. So we'll give Gene a golden shoe on all of that. And by the way, speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, how about our Gator Hater Updater? 1,158 days. That's how long it's been since Florida's beaten Georgia, and that is a number that is going to go up and up and up for a long time to come. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.